I hope you don't mind if I preach down here. It is where I am the most comfortable, and Alex said I could do it. <laughs> Honorably retired now, so I, I guess I can do more of what I want to do. It took them eight months from National Capital Presbytery to honorably retire me. I started in January, told them I was going to retire, retired in June, and then a month ago they told me, they signed the document that I was honorably retired. A wonderful thing to be honorably retired and to be able to kind of do kind of what I want to do a little bit. So when Alec... Um, came to me and asked me to help out at the church in this transition period to be uh, your theologian in residence, uh, I thought, well, now that's, that's kind of what I've been trying to do for uh, my entire ministry, so I was happy to do it, even though I'm not sure, frankly, uh, what it entails, so I'm going to have to ask for your help in uh, learning what it means to be honorably retired, and so I'm going to, excuse me, uh, your uh, theologian in residence. Um, um, but And that's what I want to preach about a little bit this morning. Um, using a great text, uh, Romans chapter 12. If you have your pew Bible, this is, this is a worthy read. So if you would, follow along with me. Uh, Paul, um, uh, typically, interestingly enough, I have learned, um, gets to the really good stuff at the end of his letters. And this is really, really, really good stuff. Romans chapter 12, and I'm going to read the whole thing because it's, uh, it's chock full of stuff that we need to be about. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but with sober judgment, each according to the measure of the faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and ought all the members have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of the other. We have gifts that differ according to the grace that is given to us. Prophecy in proportion to faith. Ministry in ministering. The teacher in teaching. The exhorter in exhortation. The giver in generosity. The leader in diligence. The compassionate in cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. <clears throat> Do not lag in zeal. 
Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saint. Extend hospitalities to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless. Do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, live with peace with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will reap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. So, I am a political theologian. Now, that's one heck of a thing to say to somebody to introduce yourself, isn't it? A political theologian. Now, I just pastored in Washington, D.C., where that was an explosive term, right? Uh, it's probably pretty explosive here. I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt if some, some took offense by my saying that, but uh, as a theological ethicist, that's kind of what we do. Now, I'm not talking about politics of red and blue or partisan politics of Democrats and Republicans, although the Democrats and Republicans can learn something from the politics of the theology that we do, I'm talking about the kingdom of God. I'm talking about the commonwealth of God. I'm talking about the common good of all people in all places in the past, in the present, and in the future. I'm talking about the beloved community. It's what we're about. So I would like to talk to you a little bit about unpacking what that means and hope that you'll be open to listening, even if I use the word political, as explosive as that word is, because I want to reclaim it, reclaim it for uh, what Christians can be about in the world. Um, So I want to talk to you a little bit about what the church is in the world. And to do so, I want to use... um, the, uh, the renderings of uh, my teacher, Doug Otati, who used to be a member of this church. And this is what Doug said. The, ch- the church is simultaneously, concurrently, in, with, against, and for the world. The church is in, with, 
against and for the world. Now, what does that mean? Those four prepositions, I think, are about our task, what we're supposed to be in the world, what we're supposed to be in our individual lives, in our lives in the world, and what we are about in our ministries and in our missions. The church is in the world, as Doug Otati says, because it is God's good creation. It is a creation that God refuses to give up on, and therefore we should refuse to give up on it. That's what we are. We're a people that refuse to give up on it no matter what happens. No matter what, what evils prevail in the world, no matter what tragedies happen in the world, we refuse to give up on it. <clears throat> we are in the world as God's good creation. Now, that's not a private realm just made for you or for me. It's not a fa- salvation suit just made for the individual. It's about what we're called to be as a collective in, with, and for against the world, but especially in the world. That's the most important thing. It's God's good creation. Rachel Held Evans, who is one of, our, one of our best writers, sadly she just passed away, had this to say about baptism, which I think is about what it means to be the church in the world. This is what she says about baptism, that God is about bringing life out of dead things. So if you want to be about what God is about then you've got to go to the rock bottom, the scorched earth, the dead on arrival parts of the world. Because that's where God is bringing resurrection and life. That's what God is about in the world. God is gardening in the places of brokenness. God is gardening in the places where we are most wounded and those wounds reflect the life of the world. That's where God gardens. So Rachel Held Evans says, if you want to be where God is, then you need to be gardening in those places, those broken places of our lives, those wounded places in the lives of the world because that's where God is seeking to bring life and life of abundance. And when I think about that, I, th- I, I think about a story that um, is what I would call one of my animating stories. That is one of the stories that uh, has deeply affected me and my life and my ministry. It happened in Baltimore right about 1993 when we were engaged in the living wage campaign in that city. Uh, what we were engaged in was that the fact that uh, the Inner Harbor, which many of you know have been to Baltimore, was the, is the crown jewel of Baltimore. It was supposed to be the economic engine. But what it had produced was low-income jobs, lousy jobs, and we discerned that people were working for their poverty. And so we decided to get in, engaged with low-income work. And one of the first places we engaged was a temp work organization named TOPS. That stands for Temporary Overload Placement Systems. Now, TOPS provides low-income work for construction sites, for this, that, and the other, uh, for people who don't want to let their full-time workers do the kind of grunt work that these folk are doing, temporary work. So what we decided to do was go down, and this was 5.30 in the morning, by the way, uh, where temp work uh, workers would get their applications for the work 
that day, and they would go into a place by the name of Mr. J's and get breakfast and fill out the applications before they went to work. And we were going to go in and just talk to them, find out what their lives were like. And I met a man by the name of Rip. Rip was a remarkable uh, older gentleman. I would guess Rip was in his 60s, but he may have only been in his 50s because he'd been uh, engaged in hard work most of his life. My guess is, is he looked older than, in fact, he was. But he was a kind gentleman. He looked kindly upon me, and that's why I sat down with him to engage him on, uh, on what his life was like. He told me that he had worked all of his life, never been on public assistance in any way, shape, or form. But he'd never made more than $6.25 an hour. And even at that job, at $6.25 an hour, now, have you ever tried to live on $6.25 an hour? It's not easy. He got laid off. So at Temps, at Tops, um, he made $4.25 an hour. And the deal was with Tops that they would pay you at the end of the day. They would charge you for transportation. They would charge you for uh, lunch. Uh, they would charge you for gloves if you didn't have it. And so I asked him, Rip, how do you do it? How do you sustain a life that is so remarkably difficult? And he looked at me and he looked up to the sky and he said, God helps me. He says, I go to church when I can, when I'm not working. He says, I'm a Christian. And it is my faith that gives me hope. It is my faith that keeps me struggling to uh, survive. It is my faith. It is my faith that keeps me from despair. And when he said that, I realized that I was talking to the crucified and risen Christ. That's exactly who Rip was and is. The crucified and risen Christ. What do I mean by that? Do you remember Matthew 25? I was hungry and you fed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was in prison, and you visited me. I was honored to be in the presence of the crucified and risen Christ. And what that says to me is, is, is that um, when Second Church, the session, voted to become a Matthew 25 church, and we did. That is a remarkable thing for us to be about. To be a Matthew 25 church means to look for the crucified and risen Christ in those rock bottom, scorched earth, dead on arrival places of the world, and that includes the places in your own heart in our own hearts. Those places of the world where God is gardening. Those places of the world where God is bringing life.
That's what it means to be in the world. A world that God refuses to give up on. But to be in the world that God refuses to give up on is also to be with the world. <clears throat> and this is what Doug Otati means by that preposition. To be with the world is to confess our so common sins together. It's not to be above the world. It's not to be about charity work. It's not to be about that at all. It's about, it's about confessing our common sins together. It's to recognize that where one is crucified, all are crucified, just as where one is risen, all are risen. In my former church, um, to do a, uh, a, a, a racial reconciliation conversation, we read uh, James Cone's Cross and the Lynching Tree. And in the second to last paragraph of that book, as I was reading it for the first time, I stopped at a sentence in that book which has stayed with me ever since for 10 long years. This is what James Cone says. He says that when whites lynched black people, they were lynching themselves, their sons, their daughters, and their cousins. When I read that line, I, 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 didn't, I, didn't, I didn't fully understand what he, what he meant. I, I, was, I was brought up short. I, I, I wondered what, what possibly could this mean? And then I realized, when one person is abused, or whether we are part of that abuse, consciously, unconsciously, we make the confession uh, of our sins, about sins that uh, are of commission and omission, Whatever we do in thought, word, and deed, or whatever we, left, we leave undone, we in fact are, are harming others. We are part and complicit and interwoven in a world of crucifixion. That's what it means to be a the theologian of the cross. But what it also means is that if we are part of a world that crucifies, and we are, and we are all affected by that world, then God is the great gardener who is bringing life out of those very places of brokenness, out of those very places of crucifixion. So if we are in the world as God's good creation, with the world confessing our common sin, then we are also against the world in prophetic judgment and witness. We are called to be a pest, a nuisance, calling into question the status quo. So what we're called to be about, if we truly understand what, what it is to be in the world as God's good creation and with the world confessing our common sin, then we're called to be against the world. In community organizing, uh, we have an adage, and that is, is that there are no permanent enemies and there are no permanent friends. It's a great adage. That means that whoever is perceived as the enemy doesn't have to stay that way. And shouldn't stay that way. The binary opposition should not sustain itself. We should always be, as Paul says in the scripture lesson before us today, always be about doing good 
to the other. Always to be about that. And do, do, do you know that in the Bible, to love someone is to do something for them. It's not primarily about a feeling. It's to act for the benefit of the other, even if that other is perceived as one's enemy, especially if they are perceived as the enemy. Especially so. This is what we're called to be and do, especially reaching across the aisle. And this is where we do get political in red and blue. Reaching across the aisle to those who don't vote like us, who don't perceive the world like us. Lord, in the polarizations that we face in our world, how seldom it happens. How seldom it happens. And yet we're called to be that kind of people who seek the transformation of the other and our own transformation in the process of doing it. <clears throat> because we are a church called to be in, with, against, and then the last preposition, because we are called to be for the world. This is what Doug Otati says about that. The ark of the universe is God's ark, and we cannot perceive fully its curvature. But we can be certain that at the end of that ark is God's commonwealth, God's kingdom. We don't know fully how it will be realized, but we do believe with all of our hearts that the good God is more powerful than any evil in the world is more powerful than any tragedy in the world. So you and I, together, as Paul says, are called to be a living sacrifice. Now that doesn't mean being a doormat. It doesn't mean that. It means to be dedicated, set apart for a task. For a task of being in, with, against, because we're for one another. We're for the world. We are believers in resurrection and life for all of God's creatures and God's creation. And that is a powerful thing because God, as the psalmist says, is everlasting to everlasting. And God's love is the one constant in all of creation. It is the foundation upon which we stand. It is the goal towards which we seek to achieve in all of our relations one with the other. Because, my friends, we are called to be in, with, against, and for the world, one another, even ourselves. Amen. And let us pray. Oh God, your grace is always sure. It goes before us, after us, under us, through us, often in spite of us, and yet you seek to redeem us. You are for us. You are redeeming us, transforming us, and all of your creation, even and especially those that we perceived as the enemy, the stranger those who we perceived as the other, because you have called us all together to be transformed with, in, through, and under 
one another in your good graces. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.